Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name's Izan, and the cookbook that I've written is Vegetable Cakes, the most fun way to buy the day. So we have our carrot cake, our pumpkin pie, and the good old zucchini bread. Personally, I thought that was great until your cookbook came along. And then I got to thinking, why aren't we using more vegetables in desserts? To be honest, I have no idea why forever people have been making carrot cake and zucchini bread and pumpkin pie, and they've not thought what to do with all of the other guys that are in the fridge. When did you first get the inspiration to write a cookbook about vegetable-based desserts? So I've been writing cookbooks for 20 years now. My first one was published in 2001, um, and it's been like 13. And I wrote a book for Rizzoli about the food at the ranch in Malibu where I was based. Uh, I was the gardener. Um, I was the head of the Edible Estates at this beautiful place in the Malibu mountains. And so for like a few years, I was in the garden, you know, hands on with the vegetables, getting to know them on a personal basis on the vines. And, um, you know, that book was really vegetable centric and was exploring beautiful vegetables in plant based, healthy contexts like salads and, you know, vegetables um, in no strange ways. And, um, you know, really, I was not thinking about cake back then. Um, but I got to know the veggies really well. And then the follow up book to that, the one before vegetable cakes was a book of um, desserts. Um, so it was everything without refined sugar. That was kind of the angle for that book. It was called the no sugar cookbook or baking and desserts book. I forget the exact name, but it was a no sugar book. And then after that one, um, I was chatting with my publisher of, of that book, um, Joanna, um, and we were just kind of chatting around what I might do next. And it really, she sparked my inspiration. I've got to, got to give, you know, props to Joanna. She, she just had this kind of idea of like, well, you know, you know, vegetables and, you know, cakes. So what do you think of like following that idea? And, and, you know, my initial thing was just like, this is so stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I was really like, I'm not in the business of gimmicky. That's kind of really, that had a resistance around that. I was just like, you know, this, I'm, I'm, I've created sensible, beautiful, elegant books. Why would I want to do something foolish? And and then, but, you know, I, I also um, have an open mind. And I guess that's almost the main premise of this book, almost, is about you know, helping people to open their minds in general. Honestly, that's kind of a, a theme for it because it's like so everyone, everyone, including myself, has so much resistance to the initial thing. But when when you go there, as I know you have, you know, and you've tried some of these recipes and, you know, there's, there's really nothing silly. But when I was, you know, coming up with this thing, you know, I, I sat there and did that. I just kind of explored a bunch of vegetables in desserts in my kitchen and really got to understand the, the, the flow between, you know, the Rizzoli book about the ranch, which was, you know, caramelizing things and looking at how flavor balances with different herbs and, 
in how the vegetables kind of work in, in as the star of another kind of dish and, and then the, the the no sugar book where it's just looking at you know baking and how to enhance sweetness and textures as well as flavors and so I kind of put all that stuff together in in vegetable cakes it's going to you know help people open their minds to the most familiar things being in a different context in in you know, maybe every area of your life really you know the idea is like wow it changes your perspective like suddenly things that you really were familiar with you might be like well maybe, maybe my preconception isn't necessarily the case <laughs> I mean, why not? I had another cookbook author recently explain aquafaba to me, a.k.a. bean water. For people who aren't familiar with it, it's the water in your can of beans. Now, what do you do with your bean water? Uh, I've included it in a few recipes. um, And I kind of wanted to, you know, give a tip that, like, you can't overwhip it. So this is why, one of the many reasons, it's awesome. Uh, it's with egg whites, you can overwhip it, right? You can put your electric whisk in and buzz it up and it will go fantastic. And if you keep going, it will turn back into mush. But with aquafaba, that will not happen. Once you've got it up into the same foam, the same peaks as egg whites, and if you keep going, it, you won't destroy it. It will just keep going. So... There's no, you know, reason to to hold back on whipping. And so I, I always go over. I always whip it as far as it goes to being peaks, which is usually about sort of six or seven minutes. It's longer than egg whites. And then go another minute just in case. So I would suggest eight minutes as a minimum. So I've used it as as the base for a pavlova, for a radish pavlova recipe in the book, which I'm really happy with. Uh, And I took like a month experimenting, by the way. That was the recipe that got the testing more than any other. Uh, Every night for about a month, I was living in Brooklyn. It was winter. There was no going out anyway. Every night for a month, I sat there and whisked aquafaba bean water for a minimum of eight minutes and then incorporated it with various ingredients and and stuck it in the oven. And every night for a month, pretty much it failed until finally it didn't fail. And that's the recipe that you have in in the book uh, to enjoy. But um, sugar, that's the one recipe in the book that has refined sugar. And um, you really shouldn't change that. Um, Refined sugar is essential in my experience for aquafaba bean water to become a pavlova, like a serious large meringue. Um, it's something to do with the, the structure of sugar, you know, how it works. It's not just a sweetening agent. Uh, refined sugar is also the basis of so many of those kind of um, spun sugar kind of things. And there's something around that. I believe that scientists actually haven't figured out yet why bean water does work in a similar way to the protein of egg whites. Uh, Nobody really understands what's going on there yet, um, which is kind of exciting. But um, yeah, that's, that's how you use bean water in this context. It's like a large amount of whisking, and if you're, if you're using it for a pavlova, you have to use a refined sugar. Do not sub that out for any kind of non-refined sugar sweetener. 
On page 34, you have an asparagus sesame cake. Talk to me about the texture of this cake and your decision to incorporate full spears of asparagus into this cake. Uh, so the texture is um, squishy. And asparagus, for me, is so celebrated in Japan. I mean, so many cultures enjoy asparagus. And, you know, I was tempted to go to a kind of Italian kind of thing, but... I just, I'm I'm intrigued still. It's just such a different flavor palette than the one I was raised in in London or the one that I I live with now here in the States. And so for me, it's um, intriguing. And so, yeah, I wanted to draw from Japanese culture, Japanese cuisine. They do use barley flour a lot more and it has such a gentle sweetness. And then matcha is visually it it bumps up the green so I kind of I've used it in a couple of recipes in here but also the the bitter kind of flavor I think in a cake context is really interesting and then black sesame seeds as well visually and the flavor of that it goes so well with asparagus and then I went to chili flakes which is I guess the the unusual ingredient in this cake if asparagus is not already unusual so I was just, you know, I figured let's try. I mean, why can a cake not have a little kick while we're at it? So there's there's a tablespoon of chili flakes there. It's, you know, it's a sizable amount. Uh, and then I went to shiso leaves because I can never resist shiso leaves in cocktails in anywhere. Uh, so, yeah, shiso leaves are in. And then I, I kind of was like, at this point, I, I want to bump it into the cake world. So, Vanilla is a go-to for anything tasting sweet and smelling sweet. And then I wanted to put some almonds in there as well. So, yeah, that that makes a, a squishy Japanese kind of cake where you can see the asparagus spears. I've not blended them. Um, so, you know, there's a visual that's, I think, quite elegant to look at. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is it a cake or is it a sculpture? Um, no, it's your Godzilla cake. <laughs> I can honestly say this was a first for me. Please describe this cake. So I'm hoping that all of your listeners know what a Romanesco color flower is. Uh, because if they haven't, like seriously, guys, you need to look this up. Go on the internet. If there's only one thing you look up after this podcast, Romanesco cauliflower or sometimes it's called romanesco broccoli same thing uh look it up have a look at the images on your browser and um you will agree with me that you know i mean i've never met a romanesco cauliflower that i didn't want to frame and hang on the wall as art i kind of thought i have to do something in a cake with a whole one because they, I mean, I'm not I'm not pulverizing that thing. I'm not sh- telling you to take that beautiful Romanesco and shred it. No, I'm like, let's frame it with a cake. So that's the Godzilla cake. The name Godzilla cake, because once I'd made this thing, I was like, it. I mean, it's a Godzilla. It's like a monster's coming out of the cake. So <laughs> the first reaction is the comedy reaction. Like the first reaction is the, oh my God, what is going on here? But then, see, because it is so overwhelmingly pretty, this vegetable, uh, you know, there is that. There, there's You can't help but admire it. And there's 
you know, the, again, from the cognitive psychotherapy kind of place, it's like weird because it's green. So automatically your, your brain is in a non-compute. But that kind of, again, works in our favor because it's kind of suspending disbelief. There's like a, it's just so strange that they can't resist. And I'm talking about children, but also like it's quite an adult flavor profile um, for the adults. I mean, there's this, uh, the coconut in there. Um, so coconut and cauliflower, you know, think about it. It goes together. It just does. And then from the savory kind of, you know, it's kind of taken also from the, you know, the whole baked cauliflower thing that's a thing right now, kind mm-hmm. of the cauliflower steaks yeah. kind of idea, which was actually in my book for Rizzoli, the, the, the ranch, but we had cauliflower steaks and you were know, looking at whole cauliflowers and baking them. So instead of doing it with olive oil and salt and pepper and whatever and doing, you know, savory thing, I kind of took cardamom, but I've kind of covered the cauliflower with a coconut oil. And but then I bumped it up with cinnamon because cardamom and cinnamon they go together, right? So I've kind of drawn from the classic flavors of a, a savory cauliflower bake kind of thing, and then bumped it up. There's maple syrup, maple syrup and coconut and cardamom and cinnamon. Like hopefully your your mouths are watering by now. Like it actually is delicious, and you know it's an elegant flavor profile and and kind of quite quite fashionable as well it's like on trend with the coconut stuff so on tuesday i made your recipe for red radicchio cake on page 32 this was one of my most surprising recipes i've made on this cookbook podcast briefly go over what goes into this cake and then i want to talk about it so the ingredients are we have um coconut yogurt <clears throat> excuse me because I wanted to make it dairy free if everybody does not want to make it dairy free you can use regular yogurt but coconut yogurt is what, what's in there and then we've got the zest and juice of half a lemon I think I mentioned earlier about my thing about organics but it's so important to use an organic lemon if you're zesting um then you've got olive oil so so far we're kind of making a dressing right and then you've got radicchio leaves so far it's a salad then you've got some eggs because we're making a cake and coconut sugar because I love coconut sugar. Um, I kind of want to talk about that after, but yeah, that's in there. Um, a gluten-free plain flour, all purpose, you know, just that mix that you can get. Um, again, if you're not, you know, gluten-free isn't a thing for you. You can use just regular flour. Um, personally, I'm a fan of inclusive desserts. so. That's, I guess, why there's a lot of gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free stuff in my life, because I really love to make a dessert that everybody at the table can eat. The guy that loves his donuts, the girl that's like paleo, vegan, super skinny, doesn't eat anything. I want all those people to eat together when it comes to dessert. So, yeah, inclusive means high on flavor deliciousness sweetness so the donut guy is going to want it uh but you know free of anything that might be an allergen um or in some way nasty um so that she'll eat it too um so yeah those things with polenta dried tarragon i mean at this point you know really it's still a salad and then we've got like some cinnamon we have black pepper because it's basically a salad and some sea salt or pink Himalayan salt, I prefer. 
and some baking powder and and then you're just going to decorate it with some tarragon some fresh sprigs of tarragon and so it's a very salady cake i thought it was going to be this savory salady <laughs> polenta-y cake and that little tiny bit of coconut sugar sweetens it so nicely it's a fooler if you ask me Thank you. I'm I'm so glad that um, it fooled you. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's quite an honor for you, Susie, as, as somebody who, who knows what you're doing in the kitchen. Uh, I guess the cinnamon helps bump it up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can use cinnamon in a savory context. I think everybody's thrown it into a bolognese sauce at some point, you know, but like it's basically from the sweet kingdom, uh, cinnamon, uh, even though itself it's not sweet, right? It's not sweet, guys. Like lavender isn't sweet, but it's all about context. Um, but yeah, th- this is basically a salad that then I bumped up. And then the, so the coconut sugar, you know, I did kind of want to briefly mention why I love coconut sugar so much. So it's a traditional ingredient. This is not a newfangled thing. My favorite ingredients are all to, always traditional. I, in fact, you know, kind of steer away from anything unless it's been tested on at least a couple of generations, um, <laughs> if possible. So coconut sugar has been going for a millennia. I mean, it's at least a thousand years old, probably older. In Indonesia, uh, the coconut trees there or palms, the, there's, the, you know, forever guy has been tying a rope, generally a guy, I think always a guy actually, tying a rope between his ankles, shinning up the coconut palm and before the coconuts come and they have long skinny ones over there, well, you know, there's every kind of palm, but those, those ones are super long skinny. So it's a very skilled job. Shins up there with a knife, slits the flower, the blossom that's up there, a little piece of the blossom, just a quick one cup to drain off the nectar that's in the flower. Really important that he doesn't damage the flower because if he does, no coconuts, right? I mean, it's like any fruit, there's a flower first, then that gets pollinated, then it becomes the fruit, in that case, a coconut. So you really don't want to damage the flower, but you can drain off some of the nectar and the bees will still come and pollinate that thing, you'll still get your coconuts. And so he'd drain off the nectar, shin all the way back down the palm, carrying the nectar in a little pot, and then tip it out into a, a long, narrow tray, and the sun then evaporates off the water and in the bottom of the tray you're left with a kind of sticky toffee kind of residue and you then grind that up and that is coconut sugar and so it's basically flower nectar of the coconut plant full of nutrients so many minerals in there such a slow release of sugar it's got a a much lower glycemic index than any of the different cane or beet sugars uh, so it's a, it's a really beautiful, old, traditional ingredient um, that, you know, we can now get in the States. It's, it's not everywhere, but it's, it's fairly easy to find now. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's a, one of my favorite sweeteners. So I'm dying to hear about your other love, music. Um, talk a little bit about how your food and music perspectives intersect. I've been writing cookbooks since about 2000 but music is 
definitely the thing I'm best known for. Um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is I smash pumpkins and bake them. Um, <laughs> I'm a composer <laughs> and a conductor and a musician. And I've re- toured and recorded with artists, including the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Elton John, Tiesto, Christina Perry, uh, I guess Hawkwind back in the midst of time in my early years. And um, simultaneously, like so many musicians, uh, I have been passionate about food. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I was in Japan. Music brought me to Japan. But, you know, while I was there, and it, it, this was a long time ago, it was the late 90s. Uh, so, yeah, there was there were traditional foods. There was, it was incredible to land and discover this whole world of food while I was there for music. And I guess also, you're, you know, you're more likely to go to a fancy restaurant at some point, so get exposed to stuff at that end. And you're more likely to go to a super non-fancy side of the road, you know, while the tour buses stopped kind of joint. I mean, I went to the Royal College of Music and studied composition and conducting with violin. And so that was the first thing. But, you know, I was writing about organic food from a political perspective, actually, it was it was absolutely not about flavors in the 90s. It was looking at, at, you know, how farm workers are treated and how animals are treated and looking about how organic, you know, really does address a lot of those issues for people. You know, I, I was vegan for a few years and for for me, you know, organic was the thing that allowed me to eat non-plant foods because the cruelty just isn't there and the, the toxins aren't there. And if you're treating animals with respect, you know, that, that was a, a whole world. So it was always the conceptual ideas and the history of food and the future of food, which is kind of my latest book. And it's all that as much as just you know, eat, enjoying eating your food. And and that's the same with music, really. It's the same ideas that, I mean, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins are known for conceptual ideas, right? I mean, all of these artists that I've, you know, been associated with and, and, and have worked with and have, you know, spent time with, um, we're talking about ideas and history and the future and how these things intersect. So, for me, it's it's one continuity, like being a composer and being a writer. It's really two sides of the same coin. Now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you have for your last supper? Um, I mean, I guess I guess chocolate with coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So where can we find you on the web and social media? Uh, so I've got three presences. That The main one for you guys is tastecolors.com. That's my food world. Uh, my music world is ilovestrings.com, strings as in violins and things. And then I have a third entity, which is uh, music and food all at the same time. And that's integrity.com. And that's with a Y. Y-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-Y.com. And my socials, I, I do all of the socials for the platforms and they have links um, from those three websites. So tastecolors.com, ilovestrings.com and integrity.com. 
www.thepowerofthenetwork.com. Well, you have certainly encouraged us to widen our perspective and enter into a brand new parallel world of possibilities. Thanks so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. Glad to be here. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book Podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.